Basketball is my favorite sport growing up, and um, I was I was pretty good, you know. Um, I, I played formally from sixth grade through all the way through my senior year in high school, and um, you know my junior year I was on I was on the varsity team. In my senior year, I became captain of the varsity team. I started at point guard and shooting guard. Pastor Child, come on now, don't get to. I ain't make it to the NBA, so don't be. You know, it ain't all that big of a deal. All right. Try to tell students right now, don't get too jealous because 90% of them ain't going to make it. You know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, I, I got some skill. So, you know, I made the team and uh, I was the captain. We had a great season my senior year. We were over 500, so we had more wins than losses. And at the end of the year, you always have a banquet or um, like an award ceremony or so. And um, there are all these awards that, you, you know, the freshmen have to go, the JV, and then varsity has to go last you got to dress up. You know, in high school, you don't like dressing up, so you got to dress up. And back then, we had baggy khakis, and it was just, <laughs> you're like, Lord, erase my memory from when I had no beard and just all that. And um, so, you know, I was really desiring and wanting the MVP, the most valuable player. I mean, come on, dude. I'm varsity. I mean, I'm a senior. I'm captain. I average the second most points on the team. I'm highest in assists, and I'm third in rebounds, and I'm the point guard. So I'm putting up numbers, you know what I mean? I'm putting up numbers, you know, sign me right now, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, the last two awards is the leadership award and then the most valuable player. And um, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm going to get this MVP. Come on, Coach Rago. Come on. Come on, Coach Rago. And so we get to the last two awards. And uh, Coach Rago starts out, and I'm still bitter because I remember his name. This is 16 years ago. All right, you know you ain't healed if you still remember their name. That's, so I don't know if we're going to do forgiveness in this series or what. We need to. Um, I said, come on, Coach Rago. And so he, he stepped up and he said, uh, <clears throat> this individual is a seasoned veteran. And I'm like, I mean, I am a senior. <laughs> Because then there was also Jeff. <laughs> Jeff was a junior. Jeff the junior. And he was number one in points averaged. So I'm the point guard. I got to come down and the, the play is all going to Jeff. And so sometimes I'm like, forget Jeff. I'm going to do my own thing. You know? And so I'm going now. Okay, we're running it to Jeff. He led the team in scoring. He was like second in rebounds. He was, he was awesome. Jeff. <laughs> taller than me. Looked like Larry Bird. Played like Bird. I'm like, well, it can't be Jeff, who's the seasoned veteran on the team. And uh, he's been with us since freshman year. He was on JV in 10th grade. He was our sixth man off the bench last year as a junior. And I'm like, snap, it's coming for me. And he said, we like to give the leadership award to Joshua Redding. And I stood up and I said... Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't do it without your team. And I didn't get my MVP. But Jeff did. Yeah. Jeff was the MVP. And I think it's just important that um, as believers that we grow up recognizing how God speaks to us. And he speaks to us in different ways. And I will go as far as saying that God has been speaking to you all of your life. You just haven't recognized it. It's kind of like a foreign language. If you don't know it, you don't know it. Um, 
And so as parents, we're trying to build into our kids right now how to hear and how to recognize moves of God and the voice of God and how to see God in your daily interactions. What I didn't know, because I despise the awards so much, is that God was speaking into my future and into my destiny. And the, 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 the plaque is in my room at my mom's house right now. It's, it's, it's there. But what he was saying, he was saying, Josh, he, said, he was saying, you have influence. You have influence. And I want to pass that on to you as well. You have influence. You, you have influence. And let's define influence. So influence is defined as the power to change or affect people in situations. You have the power to change and affect, to move people and situations. You, you know this to be true. Maybe um, growing up, your family, at a certain point, a certain weekend of your life, wanted pizza. You didn't want pizza. You wanted nuggets. You wanted a burger. And that just, we have kids, and we totally understand that. That, that changed everything about what they wanted to do. Right, right now, there are c- certain cities and trips we want to go on. Through the summer, our kids always want to see mama and they want to go to Florida. And so forget any other plan we may have had for that particular week during the summer. We're going to Florida and we have to make it work. What are they doing? They're exercising their influence. Someone say influence. And God, when he created you, when he, when he was forming you in your mother's womb, he breathed into you purpose. And one thing, a part of that purpose that he breathed into you was influence, the power to change or affect people and situations. And I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. You have guys like um, Moses. Moses was a big-time influencer. He, he led over 2 million people out of slavery from yeah. Egypt through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. Big-time influencer. Um, Esther, someone say Esther. Esther. Uh, a Jewish woman who married a Persian king, and she had the influence to pre- prevent her, her people from experiencing genocide. God preserved the people of God through a woman, and she, she, she used her, her influence. And, and simply put, God gives us influence to affect positive change. That's why you have influence. Go ahead and write that down. God has given you influence to affect positive change. Change, not to uh, uh, be a Debbie Downer, not to be a negative Nancy, not to show up to work and say, oh, my God, why am I here? But you ought to show up to work. And and when you get there, people ought to say, man, they're here. And because they're here and because they're a believer, it's going to be a great day because God gives us influence. Someone say influence Influence. to affect positive change. So your very presence when you walk in a room should elevate the atmosphere. It shouldn't feed into the cultural norm of why and weightiness and worry and burden and despair. But as a follower of Christ, I'm speaking to Christians right now. If you're not, you're exempt from this. But if you are a follower of Christ, you got to use your influence to affect positive change wherever Wherever you, uh, wherever you go. As a matter of fact, it says this here in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah said this. He says, uh, the Lord gave me this message. So God spoke to him. Watch this, guys. Watch this. He says, I knew you. God said to him, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. So before mom and dad, you know, um, 
Okay. We get it. We get it. Okay, cool. Before mom and dad, right, you were in existence in the mind of God. And so at the moment that God foreordained you to be conceived, that's when he dropped you, your soul, into that formation. But before he dropped your soul into that formation, he said, I knew you. Like, I knew what I put on the inside of you. You know, I, I, I knew how you were going to look. I knew the gifts you were going to have. Yes, yes. And he says this, before you were born, I set. Someone say set. set. He, he literally set you. He predestined you. He set you apart. Here it is. And this is what he told Jeremiah, not us. And appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So he, he picked you and he gave you an assignment and he appointed you to affect change in a positive way. And so you may not be a prophet to the nations, but you have been set apart to affect change in a positive way in your family. You have been set apart to affect change in your church. You have been set apart to affect positive change in your workplace, in your industry, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your parenting. You've been set apart. So what is my purpose, Pastor? Your purpose is to affect positive change wherever the Lord puts you. And a lot of times the reason we struggle with discovering our purpose is because we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for purpose in a career. And, and, and calling and career don't always intersect. Some people are lucky enough and blessed enough to be paid to do the things that they love to do. But that's not for everybody because your career is what you're paid for. But your calling is what you're made for. And wherever you are, you're called to affect positive change. And so, um, but there, there's always an issue. And, and for me, this is one out of a few growing up and coming along. I shared this at the 1230 uh, last, uh, last week. And so God said, bring that into the 9 and 1045 and then share it again next service at the 1230. And this just kind of popped, but the Lord said, share it again. Uh, so growing up, I was raised in a black family, and um, that's all cool. My family was loving. My family was awesome. My family got behind me, supported me in everything, wouldn't trade anyone in my family for the world. So it didn't come from my family. It came from outside the home. It came from my peers. And I don't know your deal. Your deal could be abuse. It could be negligence. It could be the fact that uh, mom, dad was not there. But for me, this was one thing just growing up, and it caught me early, and, and this is how Satan loves to work in words and yes, thoughts and philosophies. He likes to, every thought that you have is not from God and it's not from you. And so that's why I always encourage you to, to watch the news that, you know, be careful about the news and because Satan is, he's in all of it. And so uh, I grew up with this, this feeling, this feeling and this pressure from my peers of I'm too light skinned to be black and I'm too dark skinned to be white. That intra, I'm going there, that intra, and we, we call like racism, right? But no, sometimes it starts with amongst your own people. And it's not always skin colors, different forms and different types of prejudice. Some of you didn't feel smart enough. You didn't feel pretty enough. Um, dad didn't compliment you enough. Dad was there, but he wasn't there emotionally. Mom was there, but she wasn't there emotionally. And I don't know what your deal was, but what I do know 
is that what we do is that we misuse our influence. Go ahead and write this down when we don't know who we are. And so as a result of not knowing who I was, I would act out in anger. I would live in bitterness, live in unforgiveness. I would mess with women and I would mess with girls just to see if I had it or if I really was attractive, if I really was desired because I didn't get that from my people group. And so, and so you have a broken boy destroying the lives of young ladies because I was living from a place of insecurity. And so when we misuse our influence, it's because we don't know who we are. And we just mentioned Moses uh, delivered two million people from Egypt. But before he did that, the Bible says that Moses um, was a Hebrew boy and his mom put him in a basket and she, she put him in a basket down a river and Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and took him out of the water. The, the, the name Moses literally means out of the water, took him out of the water and raised him in Egyptian culture. So you have a Hebrew boy who's raised in Egyptian culture. He doesn't look like them. His tongue doesn't roll like them. And so in him, he's growing up with anger issues because he doesn't know who he is. And so on the right day, the wrong person hits the wrong button. And Moses murders a man and he flees into the wilderness for 40 years. And God then finds him and calls him to a place of leadership. And the first thing that Moses presents to God is his insecurities. I can't. I'm not, a good, I'm not a good communicator. The people won't listen. They won't follow. And God said, who gave you your mouth? I know you don't know who you are. But I'm, I'm going to reveal it to you in time. Uh, about Saul. Saul, before he became Paul, Paul wrote almost half of your New Testament. These are real people. Real people. His name was Saul. Before it became Paul, Saul means exalted one. So he, he was prideful. And, and, and Paul means humbled. Jesus knocked him off his high horse. And when Christ knocked him off his high horse, he began to walk in his greatness. But before he became Paul, he arrested and murdered Christians. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? He didn't know who he who he was. The reason you sleep around is because you don't know who you are. Let me go into your lane right now. The reason you cuss people out whenever they offend you is because you don't know who you are. The reason you think that that sexual sexuality is your identity is because you don't know who you are. The reason you hit and abuse your, your kids and your wife verbally and physically is because you don't know who you are. Y'all, y'all this church ain't talking to me today. You don't know who you are. And I'm even talking to believers who sit up in church every day and you put on that superhero shirt. But you'll cuss someone smack out if they cross you wrong. You still don't know who you are. And we misuse our influence when we don't know who we are. So today I want to talk about identity. Someone say identity. Identity and biblical identity, if you want to give it a definition, is this. Here it is. You probably have never seen it this way. But identity, watch this. First important is whose you are and who you are. It's who you belong to 
who created you. And it's who they say you are. It's not who you say you are. <laughs> it's not who culture says you are. It's not who your family says you are. It's first who you belong to, who created you. Then it's who you are. But before we get into the good news, I got to keep, keep challenging us a little bit. Let's start with who you are not. Can we deal with that? Yes, Who you are not. And we're going to start swinging out the gate. You are not your ethnicity. Mm. For all my strong Hispanic people. For all my strong black people. You are not your ethnicity. What do you mean, Pastor? This is kind of confusing. You're sounding real stupid. Okay. I was with my wife at lunch. I think it was Friday, and I asked her, I said, um, what is your ethnicity or race? Hey, it's all the same. They do it to confusion. They put definitions to it. Whatever. It's all the same crap. And she said, I'm Hispanic. I said, I said, maybe 20 years ago. But if you go on Ancestry.com, y'all don't want to talk to me right now. Y'all don't want to talk to me right now. Some of y'all African folk, I love my African folk, but y'all think y'all blood-born, straight-up black. And you got some Euro down in you some. You are not your ethnicity. Y'all laughing because it's real. You are not your political party. When God created you, he didn't say, Sam, the Democrat. <laughs> he didn't say, Joshua, the Republican, or, or Junior, the Independent. He, he didn't say, you're not your political party. That's right. You're not that. You're not your sexuality. Yes. You're not. You are not heterosexual or homosexual. There's no such thing in the kingdom of God. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. There's a proper function based upon whose you are. And who you are. We need terms as humans to clarify and define things. But based upon who created you, what you are and who you are, you act from that standpoint. So you are not your sexuality. You are not your career. You are not your struggles. You are not your addictions. You are not your triumphs. You're not any of it. Those are just simply descriptions. It tells us something about you or a distinct characteristic of who you are in this moment. That's just a description, and this is the problem. The problem is that we often confuse description with identity. We often confuse description with identity. And we say, because I am like something, that must be me. No, no, no. Or we often confuse description with definition. We allow this one part of our lives to define the totality of who we are. Wow. Wow. Yes. And the thing is this though, the reason that this is dangerous is because descriptions change, but identity remains. That's right. That's 
<laughs> Descriptions change, but identity remains. So, so, so we're, we're right now dealing, the reason I say that you are not your political party is because right now, currently in history, we've never seen so many state legislatures and congressmen and representatives switch parties. We've never seen so many Democrats become Republicans. I was at lunch with my wife, and I asked her, I said, babe, I was using our sermon prep. I said, babe, what color is your hair? She said, it is brown. And I said, what's the other color? She thought, I said, babe, you got some grays. And I said, you're the most beautiful gray in the world. quick on my feet I said but five years ago it was all brown I could have came out and got could have said well Joshua you are Joshua the lover boy and you get around but God didn't say that out of a place of brokenness I got around I was a bachelor I was single, but that changed when I met my creator and my original identity was intact. So descriptions change, yet identity remains. You are who you are way before. I'll let the, I'll let the verse talk. Ephesians 1, 4. So this is your identity. Here it is. Even before he made the world. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So when did he love you? Before. Someone say before. Before. When did he choose you? Someone say before. Before. And you were in Christ. When? Before. Before. So before the labels hit you, before the opinions hit you. Before God even gave you your ethnicity, before you, come on now, before, before you were in Christ, before he made everything you know to exist, you were first in Christ. So this is what this means. Before I am black, I am in Christ. Before I am a Democrat, I am in Christ. Before I'm a Republican, I am in Christ. Before I'm a Hispanic, I am in Christ. And this is the issue. What we've done is we take our, our ethnicity and we put it in authority over our identity and this becomes the authority in our lives and Philip if I was to make my blackness king I would be inviting Satan To have his way with my emotions. There would be no room for forgiveness for my right brother and sister. If I were to elevate my blackness and what my people have been through in this nation for over 400 years. If, if I elevate what I perceive to be my sexuality. That would drive me. 
But if I switch it the way the word of God, go back to Ephesians. If I switch it properly the way the word of God has it, my creator, I'll understand that before I was black, I was in Christ. Uh, Y'all ain't talking to me. Uh, Y'all ain't talking to me. And so what has to happen now is my Christ likeness has to take precedent over my blackness. So now what Jesus says holds more weight in my life than what the world says I should be like. It's about what Jesus says, what Jesus wants, who Jesus says I am. It's about him. I'm in him. We're never going to heal. If we stay in this nonsense. But when we elevate the kingdom, there is life and peace. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says this. This means that anyone who belongs. Someone say belongs. So your identity is whose you are. And who he says you are. Belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And and so a, a lot of us, we've owned the fact that we're addicted to alcohol. We've owned the fact that we're addicted to substances. But my Christian, let me encourage you. When you came to Christ, you now belong to him. So when you came to him, your old person died and the new life begun. And your original identity was instated. So that may be a description of your struggle now, but that's not the spiritual reality of who you truly are. So, man, when I, when I found out who I was, whoo, now, now I knew what, what Satan was trying to do was he was trying to confuse the fact that, that Joshua, you actually have a, a global mandate and a global anointing to reach all people. But Satan was trying to catch that early, and he tries to catch it early in your life. And he tries to tell you who you are and who you cannot be through people and through the media and through the news and through you getting caught in comparison on social media. Satan is trying to slip you up and he's trying to take your in Christ identity and replace that with some kind of false and pseudo identity of this broken world. I didn't know when I was 17 that I was called to global ministry. But Satan was afraid that one day I would discover it. And he's afraid that you will, too. And so, Pastor, what is my identity? I hear you. This this preach is real good. This is your identity. Let me clarify. This is this. You belong. Here it is. Write this down. You belong to God and your identity rests in Christ. That that is who you are. Before you are. An individual whose dad was never there, your heavenly father was. Before you are someone whose mom has never understood you, before you are that, you belong to God and your identity rests in Christ. Before you are a porn addict, before all of that, the Bible says that he loved you, 
He chose you and you're faultless in his eyes. You belong to God and your identity rests in Christ. And I want to encourage you to elevate that. Allow your identity in Christ to be elevated above everything else. You move according to the beat of his drum, not culture, not BLM, not the Democratic Party. Come on, not y'all don't want (laughs) to. I belong to God and my identity rest in Christ. And this is important. And I'll tell you why it's important because identity gives access. And you need to know who you are so that you know what you have access to. And a lot of us, the reason we snap and, you know, we struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness is because we don't know what already belongs to us. All the blessings you're fighting for. You're trying to one-up, we try to lie, we try to cheat. You don't even know that it's already yours in Christ. And so the Bible says this in Ephesians 1.3. It says this, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Someone say, in Christ. in Christ. It's already yours. Watch this. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every. Someone say Every. every. It's already yours. So simply put, the things that you are afraid that you will never have in life, God has already put it aside for you in Christ. But Satan will have you focus on what you don't have, and he'll say you can never have it, and you'll never have it, and you will never get it. But God has already given it to you in Christ. Here are the spiritual blessings in Christ. Number one, forgiveness. Write that down. The Bible says that when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, all of your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. And now you can step into a loving relationship with your father. Number two, you have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. You have all the power that you'll ever need to fulfill the calling of God that is on your life. You have the power of God in your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave now lives on the inside of you. You got it. You got provision. Paul says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which simply means that in every season, you're going to have everything you'll ever need in Christ. It's already in Christ. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Your purpose, watch this, is to glorify God in all things. Pastor, what's my purpose? As a mom, glorify God. What's my purpose? As a student, glorify God. As an employee, glorify God. As an employer, glorify God. You already have a purpose in Christ. You have a future. The Bible says, I'm going to give you, God says, an expected end, a hope in a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. You have a portion in this life that God has allotted to you, and then you have eternal life. And it's all in Christ. Simply what I'm saying, church. Stop struggling so hard for the things that God has already given you. And just walk with him. So now I don't got to be mean. And I don't got to scrap. And I don't have to argue. And I don't have to comment. Because this is what I come to find out, Philip. Is that in Christ, you lack, I want to encourage you with this, no good thing. You lack no good thing in Christ. 
well, I don't have a husband. Go back to that list. Go back to that list for me. Spiritual blessings in Christ. You don't have a husband yet. Oh, y'all, y'all ain't here. It ain't going to catch on for about three or four weeks. Look at all the women. Yeah, pastor, preach that. Y'all ain't right. Y'all ain't right at all. But go back to my point. You lack no good thing in Christ. So, so now real quick, I got to do this in two minutes because my time is up. I want us to do a little bit better at these things because now you know who you are. And now you know you don't lack any good thing. We need to do a little bit better at this in our daily interactions. Number one, greeting. Let's greet people well in our interactions. A common greeting in Jewish culture is shalom. And it means peace unto you. Jesus would have used it. Paul would have used it all throughout scripture. Shalom. And it simply means I want you to be blessed. I don't know you, but I hope your day is going well. It's looking people in the eye. How are you? How's your day? It's saying thank you when you give them your money. Saying thank you when they get your receipt. It's saying thank you to the barista when he or she fixes your coffee. It's just a greeting. And a salutation. Have a great day. Take care. Throw out a God bless you. It may seem weird in today's culture, but throw it out. People need, their, their compass needs to get back to heaven. It's too horizontal right now. Right? As a Christian, you come in there and you throw a God bless you. Thank you for fixing my drink. This is the best drink I've ever had. Greeting. Do a little bit better. You know why? Because you lack no good thing. That's right. The second thing I want us to do better and a little bit better is listening. Listening. Be an active listener. You ever talk to someone and you tell them something and as soon as you're done, they're telling you something. It's like, did you even, as a Christian, be a listener. Be a resource for people. Because you lack no good thing. And you're not trying to one-up, oh, you went to Cancun, girl, I went here. And No, hold on. Let me celebrate the fact that you went on your trip. That's awesome. You deserved it. You deserved it. I'm so glad you went. When are you going on your next one? Be a listener because you lack no good thing. It says this here in Philippians 2.4 ESV. Let each of you look not only, this is Paul, to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Pastor words listening. Well, this is the foundation. Take an interest in others more than yourself because you lack no good thing. Number three, I want us to do a little bit better at number three, encouraging. The word encourage means to put courage in. To to put courage in. Don't discourage with your words. Don't tear people down with your words, with your attitude, with your countenance. Don't do that. Get somewhere. Pray up before you go to work. Pray it up before you go to church. Go into that setting and begin to put courage into people. Put, put it in. Right now, I'm practicing this at home. I'm, I'm still Ford. I'm still dad. I'm still, I'm not their friend. I'm dad. But God is saying, put courage into them. You know, laugh a little bit at their jokes. Play fight with them a little bit. Spend a little time with them. Put courage into them. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 15, 23. It says, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. And if Christians aren't going to do it, who is? That's right. That's right. 
It says this. It says, go back to that verse, Proverbs 16. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Put courage in. The next thing I want us to do, I want us to remember better. Remember better. We're at Highlight Leadership yesterday, and two weeks ago, a superhero told me that uh, someone who, had, who was visiting him in the season was leaving yesterday. So two weeks, you know. And I, I asked him how he was doing, and I, I asked him, I said, has that person left? Because they won't be seeing this individual for a couple of years. And he said, wow, Pastor, you, you remembered that? I said, yeah, I remembered it because it matters to me. And I like no good thing. I'm concerned about what's heavy on your heart. I'm blessed. I'm good. Trying to impart this into my teenager right now. Like, you're good, bro. You don't got to fit in. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms with Christ. You don't have to overextend yourself. You don't have to be the center of attention. We need to remember about it. Dale Carnegie, he actually said this. He says that a person's name to that person is the sweetest, most important sound in any language. Remember names. Because your name is written in heaven. Remember their name. Last one. I want us to support a little better. Because we lack no good thing. So I love when you, you take that step from sitting on a Sunday and you become a superhero. You're, you're supporting fellow believers and new guests who come in here broken and they need some support. You're, when you do highlight the city week, you're supporting people in our city. That's still a little better because we lack no good thing. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together if you were encouraged. Let's do a little bit better than that. Hallelujah.